It's great to be back here, just worshiping with everybody. Um, I'm glad Terrence had an opportunity also to show you guys a couple of the pictures, what we did down there. Uh, Every year I try to take the staff away, just sort of an off-site retreat, just to sort of get out of our normal environment and, and get away. And we take some time to strategically plan for the year and uh, to think about GRX and to pray about GRX in the year uh, coming up. And um, we actually kind of got this crazy idea last year to do this offsite down there because of how great um, what this organization does, what Disneyland does as a great organization. You go down there, there's so much joy, there's so much excellence, there's so much fun. And we started talking about Could we think about this and think about our community, GRX, and how could we be a more excellent community? How could we engage uh, people in a really genuine and loving way? And uh, wow, they do that great at Disneyland. And so we're planning for that. But then um, I'm not as fun as Terrence and Jen and some of the other people. I had to be all boring about it. So before we went down, we've been reading a management book about Disney for the last 10 weeks. And they're like, we have to read this? I'm like, yeah, this is, if we're going down there, you got to read this. But it's been great to actually read and study. And then when we went down there, we were constantly saying, would this work at GRX? Could we do this? How are we doing that? We'd be gathering and we'd be praying. And it was just a really different way to go through and to really be thinking about how, you know, God is sovereign over everything. And even when we go into a place like this, we can go in with our lens of what is God wanting us to learn here? What is God wanting us to bring back to our community? How can we bless the people here? So that's what we were thinking about. That's what we were playing around with. I kept thinking, man, can we build? Maybe we can build this here. Can we build this? And Terrence was like, no, we don't have the budget to do that. We can't build it. So I was like, but it was really a great time. Thank you for blessing us. And, and uh, we just had a really good time of bonding and getting away and, and really building relationship and friendship, even within the staff team. Um, we have just begun a new series here at GRX, and it's focused on the good and beautiful community. And uh, if you were here last week, you knew that we also just launched our life groups. Those are our midweek smaller gatherings. This is where we're building community in smaller groups. And um, what I love about this particular book, which if you want to get, you can, you can buy online or something, it's got in this book a series of uh, soul training exercises. And the way I think about it, it's a little bit like if you are going to the gym and you want to become physically stronger, you do physical exercises. And what this book takes us through, every chapter, has soul training exercises so that who we are in our spiritual life, our souls, would actually become stronger. And so these are invitational for us. I mean, there's no pressure, no guilt. You don't have to do it. But if you do it, you will experience transformation. You will experience a change and a growth in your spiritual life as you walk consistently through a number of soul training or spiritual training exercises. So let me encourage you to do that. Here at GRX, we have a special calling, and that is to lead people to authentic faith in Jesus Christ. Authentic faith is a lived faith. It's an everyday faith. 
It's the kind of faith that you live Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday. It's the kind of faith that you live in your home and in your work and when you're commuting and when you take a trip to Disneyland. You are living your faith all the time. It's an authentic faith all the time. Where is God? How is God present? How are we living in this world recognizing that God is a reality and that we are also spiritual beings living in this reality. I also mentioned that uh, last week, in order to better support our life groups, we're doing a new approach to the preaching, and we're doing a two-week cycle with the preaching, which that means that the first week we're going to hit a topic. Last week we hit the peculiar community, and then the second week we're going to do a deeper dive into that same topic. It's going to be a little bit more of a rigorous uh, message, and we're doing that to support the small groups, to support the life groups, so that there's a two-week window to meet together, to discuss, to read the chapter, and to practice the soul training exercises. So today is that deeper dive into the topic of the church as the peculiar community. The body of believers, the followers of Jesus Christ, are a peculiar community. And for our passage today, we're going to look at Romans 12, verses 1 through 10. And particularly, we're going to unpack this idea of transformation. That as a peculiar community, as followers of Jesus Christ, it's about being transformed to be more like Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that. Let me just frame a little bit of the book of Romans. Because as we read into Romans, I think this background of what the Apostle Paul was writing will be helpful as we read through and, and understand why, what he was writing and why he was writing what he was writing. So the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans, and the authorship is around 57 AD. Now he's writing Romans, and it's called Romans because it's a book written to the Christian community in Rome. It's like the book of Philippians is written to the Christian community in the city of Philippi. Ephesians, written to the Christian community in the city of Ephesus. Romans, it's written to the Christian community that's living in Rome. Now, what's going on in Rome in and around 57 AD? Rome is the seat of power, and it's where the emperor of Rome resides. That's the place of power. That's the political center of the entire world around this Mediterranean at the time. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, you kind of think about that. And um, I know was the actor Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix? Was that was that Joaquin Phoenix? He's kind of an wasn't a little bit older movie. But if you have that idea in your mind, it's kind of like that's what's going on, and you've got this emperor that's coming to power. But historically. When Paul was writing Romans, the emperor was Emperor Nero. Now, Nero was the emperor in Rome. He was there from 54 AD to 68 AD. So he was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul. So from 54 to 68 AD, when Romans was written right around 57, Nero was known as a powerful, but also a very tyrannical ruler. Let me share with you some of the things that Nero was reputed to do or known to do through history. 
He had a huge reputation for capturing and for torturing Christians. He chose a group of people, and it's not uncommon for a political leader to choose a group of people to scapegoat. So Nero really picked out the Christians, tortured them, um, crucified them, uh, burned them, was reputed to do that, um, captured them, tortured them. Uh, There was a great fire in Rome. It burned for about six days, totally uncontrolled. Historically, it's really hard to know what caused that fire. Some people even think Nero himself set that uh, part of Rome on fire in order to expand and build his palace. But this fire raged on in the city for a long time, and Nero blamed the Christians. And after the fire of Rome, for about 300 years in, in Rome and in that area, started anti-Christian policies that were really um, out to get all the Christians in that area. Heavy persecution from the great fire in Rome. There was incredible violence in Nero's rule. He, um, uh, to, in order to consolidate his power, he would assassinate people. He was known to have uh, arranged for the assassination or for the death of uh, Britannicus, who was a 14-year-old boy. And the reason why Nero arranged for his death was because Britannicus was the blood uh, son of Claudius. And Claudius was the emperor in Rome before Nero. So in order for no blood relative to come in behind Nero, Nero had 14-year-old Claudius killed. Nero had his own mother killed. Nero had his mother Agrippina killed because of disloyalty, because he felt like she was maybe too much in conflict. And so um, it's so tragic. Um, uh, Agrippina is um, reported to have said that when she was uh, about to get killed and she knew she was going to be killed at the hand of her own son, she said, well, at least the womb that bore Nero is being destroyed. It's Agrippina. Um, Nero also arranged to have Octavia, which is his first wife, also killed. He's just done with her. So Nero was an incredibly ruthless and brutal uh, ruler. And we have the Christians in Rome, the Roman Christians, living under that kind of persecution. So with that kind of background, I invite us to turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And here's the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians living in this area. And really the question is, how do we live How are we to live out our Christian faith knowing that this is our context and this is what we're experiencing? And notice what Paul talks about. He talks about transformation. And so we're going to walk through this uh, incredible passage of Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... And it's actually brothers and sisters, Adelphoi. It means brothers and sisters, the community together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies. Mercies of God are the tangible, loving expressions of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, the real tangible expression of love that you experience in the life of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual 
worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's his talking about transformation. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. But he goes on to describe the community, this peculiar community. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of his faith that God has assigned. For in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he's talking about this peculiar community in Rome. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use the gifts. If prophecy, which means preaching, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes, so it's even a gift of contribution, the one who has the gift of contribution in generosity, and the one who leads lead with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. See, if you have these different gifts, use them in these different ways. If you have these gifts, if you have the incredible gift of, of, of giving, like giving is your love language, then give generously. If you're a leader, lead with zeal. If your gift is leadership, then lead with joy, lead with zeal. Don't be dour. Don't be mean. Don't be tyrannical when you lead. If your gift is leadership, lead with joy. That's what he's saying here. We have different gifts, but use those gifts to the good of the community. And then he ends with this. Paul is so good. He always ties up this stuff like this. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Means flee from what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let me just say this is so interesting. Outdo one another in showing honor. Honor was like a weighty word. In Greek, this honor word is really a a measure of weight. So it says, outdo one another in showing honor. It means weigh people heavily. Don't treat somebody light. Don't just pass them off. Don't just, don't, don't just like, like disregard someone like, like they didn't matter. Don't, don't, don't just brush somebody off. Weigh somebody. Treat them with honor. Treat them with the dignity and the weight and the respect that they deserve. That's what he says. Outdo one another with weighing each other heavily. And you do that by love. You do that by love. All right, so let's unpack a little bit. What is Paul talking about with this peculiar community 
And how do we want to understand what he's talking about in terms of transformation? How are we to live and to live as a transformed community in Jesus Christ? One of the first things he talks about right at the beginning is, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the tangible acts of love in God, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What the Apostle Paul is talking about here for the people there in the first century is he's referencing the sacrificial system. And he's saying, be a living sacrifice. The first century people would go, well, what does that mean? Because they would understand sacrifice to be something that you do with dead things. They're coming out of the sacrificial system where if you do something bad, the way that you get right with God is you sacrifice some kind of animal to pay the penalty for getting back right with God. So you in that time would sacrifice, a first century person in that time would sacrifice either a lamb, like a sacrificial lamb, in order to get right back with God. Or if you were not very rich, you would sacrifice a dove. You'd sacrifice two turtle doves to be able to get back to God if you, if you were not very rich. So the sacrificial system was very understood by the people in the first century. But the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to give a dead sacrifice. Don't come before God with a dead sacrifice. I want a living sacrifice. And that's part of the transformation that the Apostle Paul is beginning to talk about. Because what he's talking about is he's saying, you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You want to be a part of this peculiar community? It's going to mean something totally different. I don't want you to give me something dead. I want you to give the giver. Don't give me something dead. Give me the giver. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Surrender your complete self to God. And there's a, there's a Christian uh, speaker who says, man, that is really tough to do. And he even kind of makes a joke about it. He says, you know, the problem with us being like a living sacrifice, we present ourselves before God, we put ourselves on the altar, and then we keep crawling off. That's the problem with the living sacrifice. Okay, God, like one day, like, okay, God, I'm completely surrendered to you. Oh, you want me to surrender that? I'm just going to crawl off over here. Can't I put something else on there? That's the transformation. How do we present ourselves as a living sacrifice? God doesn't want something dead. God doesn't want our leftovers. God wants the giver. God wants you. That's a big transformation. Not from just the regular old sacrificial system. God wants you. God wants the giver. But the Apostle Paul talks about more things. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's our spiritual like way of life. But I want to unpack this word spiritual a little bit because it would be a little bit easy for us right now as modern people to go, oh, uh, like spiritual. That's kind of one of these ethereal things out there. 
The original word here is actually logikos. Logikos. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your logikos worship. And logikos, we get from that word logic. We get that word reason. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not just ethereal and spiritual and kind of in feeling, but in your logikos, in your mind, in your reason, in your logic. What the first century people would understand this to be would be in your heart and in your mind, in your reason. In the first century, in logikos thinking, there were only two beings in all of creation to, to be known to have logikos, God and human beings. No one, nothing else, no animals, no plants, no trees, no rocks, nothing else had logikos. Only God and, and human beings. And so in Stoic philosophy, what would happen would mean only human beings could give logikos worship to God because you are giving worship both with your heart and with your mind. Both of those two things together. And that's actually what it means to give true worship to God. So if you read other translations of this passage, you'll see, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your true worship. And I actually think that's a, that's a more accurate translation of this passage. To present your heart and your mind, your true worship to God. It's your true worship. It means that your passion and your thoughtful reflection. It means that when we come to worship, don't just go through the motions. It means don't just come and, and you know, as Randall's leading us, as Jason's leading us in the songs, like engage your heart and your mind in what we're singing. It also guards us from the other side of worship, that we don't just give ourselves over to mindless emotionalism, that we're actually engaging our thoughts, our history, our engagement, our best intellectual work, our integrity as a person, we don't just give ourselves over to emotionalism. That doesn't honor God. But we also don't go through the motions. That doesn't honor God either. Our true worship, our logikos, our heart, and our mind, our passion, and our thoughtful reflection. That's the true worship that he's talking about. So he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not, not, not something dead, and this is a part of your true worship. And then he goes on to this, and I think he's ramping us into this because he's talking about your heart and your mind. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of how you think about things. By the renewal of how you understand what's really going on in the world. What is your perspective on the world? What is really going on? What do you think is really happening? You know, I like to play all these kind of perspective uh, uh, illustrations all the time. It's, it's really fun to kind of understand how your mind and how you think about something 
causes something to radically change your situation. Just think about this. If you are driving on the freeway and you are heading in, and let's say you're trying to get someplace, and you know, you're going to get there on time, and you're okay, and you're just kind of happy, and you're just, you're, you're driving, and then all of a sudden, as you're driving on the road, you check your rearview mirror, and you see some car coming up, and they are driving way too fast, and you're like, oh man, you know, I don't even have time to get out of the way. They're coming up way too fast. And then they come right up to you. They're trying to get by. They shoot out into the open lane and they come and then they just cut you right off. If you're like me, I'm like, I totally hate that. I get emotionally flooded. Like all of a sudden my adrenaline goes up. My heart rate goes up. I get angry. My, you know, I start, you know, like fight or flight. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to like, so, I, so like I honk them. Sometimes I honk them. You know, I like, I like sometimes, I, sometimes I'm really angry. I like flash my high beams at them. So like, uh, yeah, this is like confession, pastoral confession. I forgive you, Scott, you're forgiven. Thank you, thank you. Um, like, but like, you ever get that? And you're just like, he's like, you get really angry. And then like, man, I, I just hope like then they like break check me so that I can like cut around them and I cut them off and I'll break check them. Like all this stuff, uh, you're really angry. Okay. What if in your mind, like you were omniscient like God and you actually knew what was going on with that person? And what if you knew that that person worked in a really crappy work environment. And this guy um, had a really tyrannical boss. And his boss was like, uh, like, you ought to work all the time. And this guy behind you, his wife is pregnant. And let's just say you knew that. And he was at work, and he got a text, and his wife says, I'm in the hospital. The baby is coming. You need to come right now. Our baby's being born. You gotta come right now. That's why he's driving so fast. Because he's trying to get to the hospital. Because he's trying to be there for his wife. He's trying to love his wife. He's also trying to be at work. He can't lose his job because he's got a new baby coming. So he's gotta stay at work. He, he can't just leave, he can't just quit because he can't, because he's gotta earn money to provide for his wife and his, and his new child coming. But he also wants to be there for his wife because he knows how important it is. That's why he's driving like a maniac. Changes, doesn't it? How does we think about things that transforms us, that changes us? It changes how we treat people, how we think about people, how we engage with people, and even how we love people. It changes. This is the kind of transformation that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He wants us to change from the inside out. He doesn't want the Roman Christians to be conformed and squeezed into the mold of, well, what's a good Christian supposed to do? 
He doesn't want any sort of outward appearance. We don't want to squeeze people into making them all look like what a Christian should look like on the outside. The Apostle Paul is talking about transformation, not conformation. Transformation is a deep, radical, internal change of who you really are. It's like the changing, what I shared with the kids earlier, from changing raw bread dough, it transforms into being a loaf of bread, which is good and useful and nourishing. There is a real and radical and complete inward transformation. Don't be conformed Paul says don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. And I would even extend this and say don't be conformed to the form of whatever a quote-unquote good Christian needs to be. We're talking about transformation, that the transformation that God would work in us, in our hearts and our minds, so that we would live differently in the world, that we would be truly transformed that by the testing of our faith we may discern what is the will of God. That we may actually see God in the world. What is good and acceptable and perfect. What is God doing in the world that's good and acceptable and perfect? Can you see that? Is your mind and your heart drawn to what is good and acceptable and perfect in the world? then be a part of that because that's where God's will is. That's where God is moving. That's where there's growth. That's where there's life. That's where the Spirit is moving. And then he goes in a little bit to this. I'll just touch on this really briefly. He says, again, this idea of don't be conformed, be transformed. Christians don't all have to look like each other. We all don't need to look like carbon copies of each other, right? Some people have the gift of preaching. If you've got the gift of preaching, then preach. If you've got the gift of teaching, then teach. If you have the gift of leadership, then lead. If you have the gift of generosity, then give. We all don't have the same gifts. We all don't have to look the same. But if we're all transformed in our heart and our mind in Jesus Christ, then the way that God has created you and the way that God has made you will take that Christ-like transformation and God's Spirit will work through you in the ways that you particularly are gifted. And then we can celebrate that. And this peculiar community is blessed by that. We're blessed by you when you live into your gifts that God has given you with joy and with passion and with your heart and your mind. And then he ends it with this, and I'll end it with this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another. Outdo one another with showing honor. You know, I was thinking, wow, I think that's a good word for us in our time. Love. Abhor what is evil. Put away with what is evil. 
Just a small word about what I'm noticing about a change in our political climate as we're ramping up for a presidential election. One of the things I'm noticing in our political environment is that um, anger, um, public expressions of what I would call racism are becoming more apparent. I'm seeing it in social media. I'm reading it on different feeds, what people post. Some people here within GRX, some people, friends that we know, experiencing more public forms forms of what I would call evil. And it seems like with this particular um, uh, election cycle coming up, that although we all know that evil is not good and that racism is not good, there seems to be, by what we're seeing, a greater permission for people to enact more public forms of what I would call evil. Things that maybe we were trying to put away with as a culture are now being given more permission in the public sphere. Abhor what is evil. Do away with that. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Even in the midst of evil, even in the midst of persecution, let love be genuine. Don't return evil for evil or hate for hate. That is a radical call of a people. That is a radical trait of the Christian peculiar community. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing about to the Christians in Rome living under Nero. Let your love be genuine. Be a living sacrifice. And why are we to be a living sacrifice? Because Jesus Christ, who we follow, was a living sacrifice. It's what I talked about last week. Beloved, this is from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, was made visible among us. This is a mercy of God, the tangible work of God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's Jesus, the living sacrifice, his death on the cross, so that we might be forgiven in God. And then that part in 1 John 4 ends this. Beloved, if God so loved us in Jesus Christ, we ought to love one another. Love. Let love be genuine. Honor one another. Weigh each other heavily. And we cannot love each other if we're dead. Only a living sacrifice can love. That's our peculiar community. A living sacrifice. Loving people. Transformed in heart and in mind. That's our logikos. That's our true worship. Let me pray for us. 
Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that you were the model for us. It's not easy. But you call us to this incredible love that is really the way to be. And so God, I pray that as a community that you would help us, that you would transform us, that you would live in us so that we wouldn't live by the way of the world, but that we would live transformed, transformed in you and transformed by you to love other people around us. We pray all this in the loving and mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.